Let's take our Bibles as we continue in worship and turn to the third chapter of Mark's gospel, the gospel according to Mark. And as you're turning there, just uh, we encourage you to get involved in life groups. Most of those meet on Sunday afternoons or Sunday night. Uh, we also have a Bible study here at five o'clock. And so our group's going to meet here at five o'clock. Can I get any of our guys to give me a whoop whoop? Okay, good. All right. So that, that's probably our, about all we can do for the rest of the day. <laughs> but we will, we will gather back here at five o'clock uh, this afternoon for our, our Bible study. But uh, we've been preaching through the gospel of Mark and uh, Pastor Colby has graciously allowed me to preach through November. So uh, I do hope that you'll join us next Sunday as we uh, look at Mark chapter four. And then also we're going to eat. And you know how Baptists love to eat. And so we're going to have a, have a great time. But to, the title of our message this morning is The Family That Matters, okay? Now, I'm going to date myself, but uh, during the 90s, there was a television sitcom called Family Matters. Now, I did not watch a lot, but I think I could relate to, and maybe some of you could relate to, one of the main characters was a guy named Steve Urkel. You know who I'm talking about? Okay, that's the show, Family Matters. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about the family that matters, okay? But Steve Urkel was an interesting story. I didn't know, but the guy whose his name was Jaleel White, who played Steve Urkel, was not intended to be a regular part of the show. As a matter of fact, if you're a, like I'm an Andy Griffith fan, really, and I know everything about Andy Griffith. I'm a connoisseur of Andy Griffith. But if you're a connoisseur of, the, of Family Matters, you'll know that Steve Urkel was not even introduced until midway through the first uh, series. And he was written in to have one appearance as the weird, nerdy neighbor. You know, Steve Urkel comes in as the neighbor. But he was so funny and such a big hit that he became a part of the regular cast, the regular storyline of Family Matters. And he went through every season until the last episode. He, he loved the Winslow family. And he loved one Winslow in particular, that was Laura, you remember? And so in the la next to the last episode, Laura and Steve Urkel get, get engaged. Excuse me, they didn't get married, they got engaged. So Steve Urkel was finally gonna be a part of the Winslow family and you know what happened? They canceled the series. So he never made it into the Winslow family. I'll tell you something you did not know is that Steve Urkel, Jaleel White, auditioned for Rudy Cosby. Rudy was originally going to be a little boy. And Jaleel White had that role of Rudy Cosby. As a matter of fact, the directors and producers said, y'all need to find a place in New York because <clears throat> that's where we're going to film. And so they were starting to look for a place in New York. And they came one day and said, oh, we're going to audition one more person for that role just as a matter of formality. And that little girl's name was Keisha Pullman. And so Rudy became a little girl, as you know. So here's the deal. Steve Urkel missed out on the Winslow family. He almost became a Huxtable, but he missed out on that family. This morning, I want you to know there's one family you don't want to miss out on. You don't want to miss being a part of this family. It's the family that Jesus introduces us to this morning in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. And to be totally honest, I was going to just miss this part and go into chapter four. But as I began to study this, I said, you know, this is really good. 
So I hope that you'll listen this morning. Mark chapter three, verse 31. Then his mother and his brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, my family. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, and a heart to respond. Lord, as the psalmist prayed, Lord, unite our hearts to fear thy name. Lord, give us a singleness of heart, a singleness of purpose to hear your word, obey your word, and thus be changed by your word today. For Lord, we know your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, may we lay our hearts and lives before you today. Lord, may we ponder the question of the family that really matters. And may we ask ourselves, am I really a part of that family? Lord, bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the question today is, are you in the family? The crowds are still a big part of the, the storyline here. We see in chapter three, verse 20, when he came home, and actually that's to Peter's house in Capernaum, the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. We've talked about the popularity of Jesus. So there at Peter's house, the same house where he healed Peter's mother-in-law, the same house where they cut a hole in the roof and lowered the paralytic down. And so people are just all around Jesus. You know, you think about that crowd, the disciples and probably those who are just hanging on every word of Jesus and so just love Jesus, as you can only imagine, they're right around him, just pushing against him. But also in that room, maybe a little further back or sprinkled here and there are the Pharisees. The Pharisees are there as well. We see their interaction with Jesus throughout this whole third chapter. They're there not necessarily to adore Jesus or to help Jesus. They're there to listen to what Jesus had to say and try to catch him on something and put him to the test. They, they didn't like the popularity that Jesus was enjoying with all the crowds, but also on the outside, beyond the disciples and the followers and the Pharisees, on the outside, the family comes. And they're so, the crowd is so thick, it's so packed inside the house that they can't even get in. Now the Lord's family arrives and they came for a very specific purpose. They thought Jesus had lost his senses. Look at verse 21. When his own people, his kindred, heard of this, they went out to take custody of him for they were saying he's lost his senses. So they came for a purpose. They want to take Jesus home. So here's kind of, I think, how it works. The family gets there. They're on the outside. They send word by someone that they want to see Jesus. And then the request is passed through the crowd until it finally makes its way up to Jesus. And somebody sitting there says, what Oh, hey, Jesus, your family's here and they want to see you. So the word kind of works through the crowd. And as Jesus gets this word, he uses this request or the arrival of his family, who, by the way, are his biological family. He uses that request and their arrival to teach us some important things about his spiritual family. 
okay? So his biological family's on the outside and his spiritual family is surrounding him with the exception of a few Pharisees scattered among the bunch, okay? So before we talk about the spiritual family, let me just tell you something and state the very obvious. First of all, that Jesus had an earthly family. Jesus, and I think this is, was so helpful to me, Jesus and his earthly family. Jesus had a mother. Her name was Mary. Jesus was conceived, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. So his father was the Holy Spirit, the Father God. But he had an earthly father figure that we know as Joseph. Now, after the early years of Jesus, we don't hear a lot about Joseph. We can only assume that Joseph had passed away. As a matter of fact, in John, I think it's chapter seven or eight, they, they said, where is your father? We weren't born of fornication. Where is your father? And so Joseph was no longer in the picture. But we know that Jesus had a mother. Jesus had brothers and sisters. As a matter of fact, I didn't, just never thought about this, but Jesus had a large family. In Mark chapter six, verse three, this was a comment that was made about Jesus. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, four brothers, are not his sisters here with us? Now, they didn't say, isn't his sister? So he's got more than one. And they didn't say, are not both his sisters with us? You know, I'm not trying to split hairs here, but it could be as many as three or four sisters. Are not his sisters with us? So he had at least four brothers and maybe three sisters. And this is interesting because Jesus grew up with family. He knew the dynamics of family life. And I'll also just kind of throw this in. Uh, in the seventh century, at the Council of Constantinople, the church, the early church, a portion of the church, ratified the doctrine of the Virgin Mary, saying that she, not, she gave birth to Jesus, but that that was her only child. And so they adopted the doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary. And there are people today who would adhere to that, and they would say that all of these other siblings were cousins. It's the only way they can explain that. But I think the Bible's very clear that Mary had other children after Jesus was born. Jesus grew up in a large family. And what does that mean for us? It means that, as the writer of Hebrews says, that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched by our infirmities or our weaknesses. In other words, Jesus knows what it's like to be in a family. Now, some of our greatest stress can come from the family, from parents, from children, from siblings. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up in a family, what it's like to live in a family. And in every family, there is tension. And this moment here is a very tense moment for Jesus and his family. Now, growing up in a family of eight children, there were a lot of things that Jesus had to adjust to. I find that very helpful. I find that very comforting. The fact that Jesus understands family life. He knows what it's like at mealtime. He knows what it's like at bedtime. He knows what it's like, some way, 
getting your family ready for church on Sunday morning. It can be one of the most stressful times. But I, I would venture to say that at some point during this week, there was stress in your life because of family. Family members or whatever, there was something that was working in your heart, some kind of tension there. And so Jesus knows we can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. Family tension. It could be a situation with your parents, your children, your siblings. I want you to know this morning, Jesus knows. He knows what it's like to live in a family. So when the family comes, we see the family's request. Then his mother, verse 31, and his brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him. Now, Brother Kobe, that's circles, that's not rows, okay? That's what, they said. that's what we try to promote through our life group, circles, not rows. They were sitting around him and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And so this request created an opportunity for Jesus to go one of two directions, to rush out to his family as most would, or to teach us about his spiritual family. Jesus chose the latter to teach us about a spiritual family which created tension in that room. See, Jesus is in the midst of teaching, proclaiming about the kingdom of God. And his family comes up and says, stop. We want you to go home with us. Jesus knew they came. Jesus knew why they came. They had come, John 3, 21, because they thought he had lost his senses and they were gonna capture him, take him captive. They were gonna take him back. But Jesus is in the midst of his ministry. He's doing what the Father had sent him to do. So when this request comes to Jesus, your family wants you, I'm sure the crowd had no problem with that. See, family was a big deal in that culture. And family's a big deal in our culture and a lot of cultures today. But in that day, it was a really a big deal. If your family wants you, if your family calls you, you go, no problem. So there was nothing unusual about the family's request. Jesus, we want you to go with us. But look at the Lord's response, verse 33. Answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Instead of stopping what he was doing and going to his family, Jesus gives this unusual and seemingly cold response. Hey, your mama's out there. Your brothers are out there. Who, who's my mama? Who are my brothers? This is where it really gets tense. You know, a guy went to the doctor one day and he said, doctor, something's wrong. One night I dream I'm a wigwam, the next night I dream I'm a teepee. What's wrong? He said, it's so it's simple, you're too tense. So this is where it gets tense, okay? There's tension room. You're listening, right? Whoop, whoop, whoop. What do you say, Kobe? Whoop, 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 whoop. Okay. All right. I tell jokes. He gets whoop, whoops. Okay. You're too tense. All right. Y'all need to relax. Don't be too tense. All right. So the crowd, when Jesus responds, here's what I think. I think they were shocked. I mean, your mother's out there. And so Mary was probably hurt. I mean, you only get one mama. And she comes. The brothers, I bet they got angry. You just insulted our mama. We traveled all the way from Nazareth down here to Capernaum 
on a mission and you won't even stop long enough to talk to us. How disrespectful of your parents. Worse yet, he, he was acting as if he didn't even know them. Who are my mom? Who is my mama? Who are my brothers? Let me tell you this. Jesus had a high regard for his mother. I want you to know that. No one ever loved their mother more than Jesus. How do we know that? When Jesus was on the cross, we read that in our Bible reading this week in the Gospel of John. John tells us whenever Jesus was on the cross and he could have been preoccupied with torture and pain, facing death, when Jesus is on the cross, he looks at Mary and he looks at John and he looks, tells John, he said, John, behold your mother. Mary, behold your son. And John says from that day forward that John took care of Mary. Jesus dying on the cross was looking after his mother. Nobody ever loved their mother more than Jesus loved Mary. He was not being disrespectful. See, there's a tension here that's very real and we all have to deal with it. The problem is the Lord's family Mary and his brothers had their attention fo focused on earthly matters. And Jesus has his attention in this room now focused on his father's business. To Jesus, nothing was more important than doing the will of his father. His mission took precedence over his family. His mission was first and foremost. So we learn from our Lord that spiritual relationships take priority over human relationships. And it should always be like that. See, we have, we're part of the family of God. We have a spiritual family. And those spiritual relationships, our relationship with Jesus takes precedence over all other relationships. Let me tell you, this beautiful bunch of, of young people right here, there are gonna be relationships that come into your life that you're going to want to pursue, that are going to be very near and dear to you. But let me tell you, every person that you date or, or hang out with, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to encourage you spiritually or they will destroy you spiritually. There's no middle ground. Spiritual relationships take precedence over human relationships. And that's true for us, all of us, regardless of our age. I know families who over the years allow their family, their biological family, to get them out and distance from the church, from the Lord's work, from the Lord himself. If we're not careful, I remember a pastor years ago when I was on another staff said, you know, don't allow your family to become an idol or don't allow your family to become your God. See, there are times when the family can come between the believer and what the Lord wants us to do. That's the problem that Jesus faced here. The family of Jesus came to stop him from doing what his father had sent him to do. There are times when your commitment to your family and your commitment to your Lord will clash. And that can create some very real tension. What's the answer? I think you can look at scripture and see that Jesus had a very high regard for family. He condemned those who took their money and gave it to the synagogue and neglected the care of their parents. Jesus said, that's not right. You need to take care of your parents. You need to take care of your family. 
think the Bible tells us very clearly we need to take care of our parents. And I believe that we honor the Lord by the way we treat our family. But our desire to please the Lord should be greater than our desire to please our family, if I can say that. Our desire to please the Lord should be greater than our desire to please our family. We had a couple in our, a former church and they would not let their teenage children go on mission trips. They were very active in the church, very active. And so one day I, I just talked to the mama. I said, look, what's, what's wrong? Why won't you let your children go on mission trips? And with tears in her eyes, she said, I'm afraid God might call them to the mission field. Whoa. You know, I tried to tell her, it's not the safest place to be in the mission field. And it's not the safest place to be in the center of God's will. But there is no better place to be than in the center of God's will. God may call us to live in a place where it's not safe. Our children may go, our grandchildren but if they're doing the Lord's will, there's no greater place. There's no greater joy that should be in the heart of any parent or grandparent than to know that their children are serving the Lord and walking with the Lord. What are we to do in regards to our love for God and our love for our family? Nothing complicated. I just think love the Lord first. Seek his will for you and your family. That's the best place to be in the center of God's will. Our family is our primary mission field. I've said for over 30 years, if I fail at home, I failed as a minister. My family is my primary mission field, and I hope that you see that for you as well. The church cannot be your family's only spiritual influence. Just leave it to the church. We gotta have a good children's ministry. We gotta have a good youth group. We just, the church will take care of my kid. no. The church needs to be as effective as we can be, but the church should complement what's going on in your home. The spiritual leadership you provide in your home for your children. So provide a spiritual environment in the home. Then I think we should also do our best to have our family in church and serving the Lord rather than using our family as an excuse for not coming or not serving. Let me tell you, parents, our children are perceptive. We talk about being Christians, we talk about this, they see what's really important in your life. They see your priorities. Your priorities are caught, not necessarily taught by the way you're involved in church, by the way you lead your family, and the things you do, providing a spiritual environment for them. Now, there's nothing wrong with loving our family. We should, we must love our family, but family matters are never more important than our relationship with the Lord. Amen. Never. We see Jesus in his earthly family. Next, secondly, we see Jesus in his spiritual family. Instead of trying to ease the tension and stepping out to talk to Mary and his brothers, Jesus turns it up a notch. He speaks to all the members of the crowd and he, he declares a new family, a spiritual family. Verse 34, Jesus declares a new family. Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. Now, this was shocking. This was shocking. The crowd was shocked by his response. Now, I'm sure they're a little bit puzzled. 
What are you talking about? Well, Jesus is declaring a new family. It's called a spiritual family. It's a family centered around our relationship with him. It's a family that will eventually include members from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. It is a universal spiritual family centered around our relationship with Jesus Christ. Pastor Colby read this while ago, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Through faith in Christ, we become a part of the family that matters. The family that matters. We're all born into this family as we're born again by the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual family centered around Jesus and his bride, the church. It's a family where we can come together. It's a family where we can find love and acceptance. It's a spiritual family. John Calvin said this, no one can have God as his father who doesn't have the church as his mother. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's simply saying that as a part of the family of God, that fellowship with others through the church is precious to us and it's vital for us spiritually. The church, because the church is the bride of Christ. We have an attachment to the church as we do to our very own mother. I'm so thrilled my mother's sitting here today. The church encourages us to grow as a mother does. A church nurtures us as we find love and acceptance there with God's people. The beautiful thing about the church is that we can find God's people, our brothers and sisters in the church wherever we go, wherever we go. I've had the privilege of going on mission trips. I know many of you have. And I remember being in St. Petersburg, Russia in the mid-90s. And our guide there was a guy named Sergey, And Sergey didn't speak good English. And I tried some Russian. And it was just, everybody laughed. Uh, they taught me a phrase. And so I said, this guy, you know, blah, 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 And he started laughing. I said, why? Because I was trying to say, how are you? And he looked at me and said, you just asked me, how's your stomach? <laughs> so I gave up on rushing. But the spirit of the Lord bore witness with our spirit that we're children of God. I could tell Sergey loved Jesus. We couldn't talk, but we could communicate spiritually because he was a part of my family. Do you understand? I hope that you get to meet people from other nations and tribes and tongues who are a part of your family and we're bonded together spiritually. Thank you. <laughs> I tell you what, though, this family can be costly. There are people today, when they join the spiritual family, they're alienated by their biological family. Now, I talked about tension in the family. That may be your case. There are many people who are disowned. I didn't realize this, but there's a verse in Romans 16, verse 13. It says, Paul said this at the end of Romans, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Now, Rufus was the son of Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene, we know, was you know, encouraged or kind of commandeered to carry the cross of Jesus whenever Jesus was going to, to Golgotha. And so as he was carrying the cross later on, we find that Rufus was his son. 
And so Paul now says, greet Rufus, his mother and mine. There are some who say, you know, when Paul came to Christ, he was kicked out of his family. His mother no longer had anything to do with him. So Mama Rufus or Mrs. Simon of Cyrene became Paul's spiritual mother. I mean, very possible. And there may be some cases here where you've had women in your life or men in your life who are more of a mother or more of a father to you than your real father or your real mother. There's a spiritual bond between God's people that's very real and very, very strong. Now, I want to say again, those of us who've grown up in Christian homes have the best of both worlds. We have that spiritual bond with our biological family as well as with our spiritual family. But those who have not grown up in a Christian home, you need to know that you have a spiritual family. You have spiritual brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and daddies who love you and are there for you. So Jesus declares a new family. Verse 35, Jesus defines the new family. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus makes it clear what it means or what it takes for a person to be considered a member of his spiritual family. He did that in John chapter six. Let's look at this in John 6, 37. Jesus said, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus says, whoever does the will of God, he's in the family. This is the will of God that you believe in Jesus. John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him who has, whom he has sent. Whoever does the will of God, the will of the Father is for sinners to believe on Jesus and receive eternal life. Verse 35, for whoever, <laughs> that makes it pretty broad, doesn't it? It's a universal invitation. Whoever, no one who believes will be excluded on the other hand, no one who does not believe will be included. To be in the family, it takes faith. John three thirty six. he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, the first step to doing the will of God is to believe in Jesus, to believe in him as the one who is sent by God for our salvation. This belief, this faith involves and leads us to confess Jesus as Lord. That's what Paul said in Romans 10. If we confess with our mouth Jesus as what? Lord. As Lord. And believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. See, we become a part of his family when we surrender our lives to Jesus. We receive him by faith and we receive the gift of eternal life as we submit our lives to Jesus. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him. We seek to know him and to do his will. Let me tell you, in this family, in this family, uh, that's funny, I, 
Our kids have this birthmark. It's my cleft chin. You can look at all three to one degree or another. They got that chin. When I went to the deaf school, they, this, was my, this was my name, Kay and the chin. <laughs> That's how they knew me at the deaf school, Keith. But everybody has a birthmark of some sort. We know how, what family you're in. Let me tell you how you know you're in the family of God. Every one of his children bears a birthmark. And that birthmark is a lifestyle. Living for Christ is the birthmark of all true believers. If you're in the family, you're going to live for Christ. The birthmark is a hunger and thirst for righteousness. A birthmark is obedience to God's word. An honor and desire to know God's word, to read God's word. A birthmark is a desire to fellowship with God's people. Another birthmark is a heart that desires his fellowship through prayer. So a true member of the family will be evident by changed life, a changed life. So as I close, are you in the family? The family that really, really matters. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that you've called us to be a part of your family. Lord, that we've been born again by your spirit. As we are born again, we're born into that spiritual family. Father, I pray this morning, if there's one here today that maybe has doubt about their relationship with you and, and particularly in regards to this family, Lord, that today would be the day they recognize that they are a sinner separated from you because of that sin. Recognize that Jesus died for sin once for all the just, for the unjust, so that he can bring us to God. And Lord, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have life in his name. And we become a part of the family that matters through Jesus. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and work in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls in this place today. Lord, we thank you for a family like the kingdom of Christ that we are all a part of. Bless this time of invitation now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.